0: Hello and welcome to UX Like Us, the podcast for user experience designers, researchers, strategists,
1: and ethical hackers. <laughs>
0: I'm your user experience ethical hacker, Roman Burcott Joining me as always is Larry King. Larry, how are you? I'm doing great today. And
1: uh, I would like to say uh, shout out to the World Wide Web. Um, it's a big birthday today
0: for the World Wide Web. 30. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't look a day over 22. <laughs> <laughs> did you do anything to celebrate?
1: I did nothing to celebrate other than read tweets and about stuff.
0: Okay, so you, you, you marked the commemoration of a very important event, which uh, I guess it really is, given the fact that the target audience of this show is people who make a living uh, in some way, shape, or form from the internet i mean yeah i mean you could sit here
1: and look back at all the things that you wouldn't be doing right now or could not be doing right now or what would be different in your life without the world wide web like what did we do back in the 80s before this existed i mean where did we we had to like listen to radio with commercials (laughs) and antennas (laughs) and read newsprint on paper (laughs) <laughs> reading <laughs> readings for suckers <laughs> you had to send letters <laughs> it's crazy you're just, just literally gone yeah literally gone wouldn't exist amazing
0: well i wanted to mention uh last week's episode with nelson you was great I don't know if twice makes a pattern, but so far our episodes with guests have been really good. But we'd love to have our listeners uh, let us know who you'd like to hear on the show. Uh, we want to showcase people who have unique perspectives and interesting stories.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't even have to be somebody that you know you've heard of, right? Or or you think is famous, or any you know even just internet famous. It doesn't matter. I think. Uh, um, the thing i like about it is we just have people that we would normally have interesting conversations with and now we can just put it right out here for everybody to enjoy as well so it's kind of, it's it's almost like a little side conversation at a at a really good conference when you met meet a really cool person and you have a really great conversation
0: yeah that's the thing like when you go to a really cool conference and you have those hallway conversations it, they're energizing, you know, just being amongst your tribe is energizing. And so I just love to capture that here on the show. So to help us uh, make that possible, we'd love to hear who you want to hear on the show. Um, so please reach out to us on Twitter at UX like us and uh, nominate somebody to, uh, to join us. Well, much as we've seen the World Wide web grow up a lot in just 30 short years, uh, we've also seen our uh, field, user experience design field, uh, grow up quite a bit in, uh, in a short amount of time as well. And that's one of the real delights about uh, getting to work in UX right now is just getting to see how our practices and our processes are always growing and evolving and, and updating. One of the really cool things uh, going on in, in that arena is uh, an increased discussion around design ethics. And I think that's a really uh, fascinating topic, but I've been a little reluctant to um, talk about it here on the show yet because I've had a lot of um, ambivalence about the
1: topic. Why would we want to talk about that? I mean, aren't all the companies out there just, I mean, they all have, you know, goodness at at the bottom of their heart and they're just trying to make the world and and people you know
0: everything a better place right you know they're all after our our best self interest right well you know any good startup is aimed directly at changing the world that's right so i don't understand what what's this design
1: ethics stuff i mean <laughs> when i check that box that says you know terms of service i'm sh- i'm i'm just assuming all that stuff is f- you know, I didn't read it, of course, but, you know, I'm sure uh-huh. that's all protections for myself, right? Right? Sure,
0: sure. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're looking out for me. That's explicitly what that was put in <laughs> Tiny Type for. <laughs> that's one of, like, my biggest
1: pet peeves is, like, the whole terms of service thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's the biggest, and or what I like to call opt-in theater. Um, it's, like, the <laughs> biggest, like, joke of, you know of of our times. This fact that there is this document out there that is, well, you know, we you you of course you read this because you checked this box and now you are beholden to the terms in it. Um and you know that's just like one sort of, you know, example of, you know, sort of an ethical, you know, decision that somebody made. It probably wasn't a designer, but it was likely somebody in uh <laughs> shaped like a lawyer. To you know, say hey, we need to cover our asses on this thing, and so we're just gonna put up all these terms of service that nobody reads, and now they, you know, we've got our you know butts covered in whatever we want to do. And there's crazy things that that go into those things that you don't even think about, right? And um, like for instance, I was like doing the whole you know looking into robocalls because there was a. Uh, a thing on John Stewart or not John Stewart, uh, John Oliver this week about robocalls and how they, you know, become more prevalent and, you know, and the fact that there's a do not call list and how that doesn't really work because (laughs) of many different reasons. Right. But one of those reasons was at some point you probably checked a box in some form somewhere saying that this company can you robocall you, right. Or, or their affiliates or something like that. It's like, you didn't really opt into that. That's the opt in theater, (laughs) but yet, they can use that and say, "Well, you know, we, you know, they they opted into t- taking robocalls from us, so now we can do that." So it's 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 things like that. But that I mean, the 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 list of examples of really just slimy things on the internet is just it.
0: They're legion, right? You called out that probably wasn't a bit of design, or I, I forget how you phrased it, but that probably wasn't really a decision that was made by a designer. It's just something they got got kind of thrown in. But I would, I would tend to take issue with that and say that those decisions were made by a designer, likely a designer who didn't think it was sexy enough to bother with trying to make that an actual worthwhile user experience and just kind of said, hey, let me stuff this in here in a, in a small font and try to get it out of the way as quick and as easy as I can but what we really want to talk about is is design ethics as a, as a whole so larry maybe articulate a little bit how you know that particular issue relates to the the premise of design ethics
1: there's designers making
0: decisions well there's just people making decisions
1: about products that have either intended or unintended consequences for the condition of mankind and individuals and the world at large right Um, you know, we talked about terms of services as being one thing, but, you know, things like, you know, Facebook and their algorithms and how they reinforce your, um, reinforce people and connect people of similar thoughts and and reinforce those thoughts, whether they be, you know, um, the fact that I'm, you know, I like to build guitars and I want to see other people that, you know, build guitars as well. Or I think that, you know, not vaccinating your children is a good idea, <laughs> right? And so, those those same mechanisms that give me content about, oh yeah, you know, you know, people making guitars and different techniques and stuff, is also the same thing that is, you know, causing people to not vaccinate their children and and and, and you know, cause outbreaks of things like measles that we thought we killed off and 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 gotten rid of, right? And so, I mean, that's just one example. Um, but you know, there is you know some there are unintended consequences or sometimes intended consequences for our design decisions. And the thing that interesting thing about me, to me is it's like it's not just a design decision because that person who had to implement that that um, opt in form didn't make that decision to do that. That was somebody else that made that decision. That was somebody in the business trying to you know cover their ass. Right. So. Um, when it comes to ethics, it's like, you can't just think of the designer doesn't have all the power in this, in this, in this equation, right? They can, you know, they can push back, but ultimately if the company's business model is a business model that propagates, you know, bad results for people and, and then, you know, there, there's,
0: it, there, there's not a lot you can do about that. Kurt Arledge at Viget wrote a really great article uh, called Design Ethics and the Limits of the Ethical Designer. And I don't want to say too much about the article because I don't think I would do it justice. It, it's well worth your read. The The user experience of a product uh, is the result of decisions made at every layer uh, of the process. So much like um, Jesse James Garrett's, it's the elements of user experience. But essentially making the assertion uh, or the observation that designers are working primarily in that interface layer, but there's a a business layer and an infrastructure layer before it um, that heavily uh, influence the ethics uh, uh, that are brought to the market. And so um, it's, it's hard for designers working in, you know, what you might call traditional design role to really be able to influence that uh, in a really significant way. Um, But then he goes on to say essentially that if we're going to do that as designers, we're probably going to have to accept that we're not going to be a designer anymore (laughs) or we're going to be working less so in a traditional design role and moving more towards uh, other parts of the organization. Yeah,
1: I think um and I don't know if he mentioned that in the article, but Mike Montero is is somebody that 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 brings up that that very point um often saying it's like, you know, designers are always asking for, you know, we begging for that seat at the, ta- the the table, the business table, right? And he's like, you know, be careful what you ask for because as you do that, your role begins to change and now you are, you know, you're not the the, what you do as a designer fundamentally starts to change as you get that, you know, you start to wear that business hat and you get that seat at the business table, because now you're not just, you know, you know, you know, being the designer and, you know, solving those, those, those tough, uh, you know, interaction design problems. But now you're like trying to solve organizational and business and ethical problems. Right. It's like, you have this infrastructure that, and, and business model that, maybe has these unintended consequences that have, you know, are ethically dubious. Now you have to help make the decisions and, and, and convince an organization and, and move the needle on an entire business and organization to, you know, get past that. And that's a completely different job than doing, you know, the traditional design work that
0: we do. Yeah. That's how I became a user experience, ethical hacker. Excuse me, a a lead user experience, ethical hacker. (laughs)
1: Thinking about, you know, the 30th anniversary of the World Wide Web, um, you know, and talking about the infrastructure layer versus the business layer versus the interface layer. You know, we have the World Wide Web, which is basically the infrastructure layer of a lot of what we do right, you yeah. know, on you know, as a, you know, you know as a, these companies such as Google and Facebook and, and Twitter, they're, you know, they're u- all using that infrastructure layer and they're using um, the, the very, you know, properties of that, that layer, to, um you know accomplish the things that they do things like having things be open and be able to link between things and um the the fact that more links between different things make things more popular and then also you know the an, uh, the anonymous um you know the, the the ability to be anonymous on this you know has a huge effect on how people behave in the medium so you could set up you know a a like for I mean look at the YouTube contents right? <laughs> You can basically be an anonymous person in YouTube comments and look at the quality of YouTube comments, right? It's like something that you just stop looking at because they're just like the quality of them are so terrible because they've decided as you know, to keep that open and let people, you know, whoever go up there and and comment. and now you have this like just just cesspool of 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 people, right. Part of it is you know the, the the business decisions of the of the of you know of youtube and and Google, but part of it is that infrastructure layer and how how it's designed and how it's you know designed to be open and anybody can you know build anything on it
0: really. I read an article that was talking about um, designing for uh, machine learning, and one of the big takeaways was that you have to decide whether you're going to design this uh, model to uh, be more precise and have fewer hits and potentially miss things, or to definitely catch everything, but be less precise and therefore have more noise. Right. And these are like the, like you say, those, those foundational architectural decisions that ultimately will have uh, profound uh, implications for the outcome.
1: Oh wow that that brings me back to the um uh, cybersecurity company days where I've worked on very problems just like that right you you talk about like you know alerting in cybersecurity and how high a fidelity do you want to like you know alert on every single thing that could possibly be something bad or do you only want to things that you alert on things that you know for sure are bad and, and let people possibly miss things. And that's always been like a, a hard problem, right? You know, you look at like, you know, the target breach and uh, we're really going off, of, off on of attention tangent here, but you look at the target breach and like, you know, they had, they had like, you know, thousands of alerts, you know, and they had an alert in the, in one of the vendors um products that indicated that, you know, that 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 was going on that they were somebody was you know in and 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 scraping all their their credit card data, and it was just you know
0: one one signal and a huge vat of noise, right? The thing that has been gnawing at me is this concern about are designers really responsible for saving the world? You no, know, that's what startups are for. We talked about this already, <laughs> and and the tech giants. <laughs> oh wait. <laughs> Yes, the
1: tech giants are here to <laughs> save the world. Um, well, I no, I don't. I mean, I think it's everybody's job to save the world. Honestly, right? And you know, probably designers have a role in that. Um, that we don't intentionally do things that are cause ill harm to people, and we try to reduce the amount of unintended consequences that we have on the world. We have a role but it's not all in our hands. We can't, we don't have control over the entire bis- all the business decisions. Although we, we, you know, we're design is getting more into that layer. And, but even getting down to the infrastructure layer for us is, you know, something that doesn't happen often. So I think we have a role to play, but yeah, we're not the, we're not going to be the, the Superman
0: that just, you know, s- s- saves the world through design. Are we? That's in a nutshell. What was gnawing at me is that, uh, the the notion that designers are just going to, you know, save the world by being thoughtful in and, and our design processes um, just kind of seems unrealistic and disconnected and honestly kind of, to some degree, the, the stuff that, about designers that bugs everybody else, right? Like, you know, oh, here come the designers and their delusions of grandeur. The other side of that argument, though, for me, is uh, what we've talked about before, is one of the things I love about design and user experience design specifically is that shaped in that medium of, of the World Wide Web and, and openness and, and, and freedom, um, this field seems to attract a lot of people who are willing to take on those big challenges that design is an inherently optimistic activity, and so if if not us, then who I mean, I think there is i mean
1: I don't think there's like some magic oh here's the here's a new um design thinking technique that gets rid of you know bias and 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 cranks up the ethics by you know three points in our you know in our in our in our in our methodologies, but I think at the same time. I think it's in everybody's interest. It shouldn't just be the designers, but I mean, you know, me, you as an individual. We all, as individuals, whether you're a designer, whether you're a uh, a, 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 a programmer, whether you're a QA person, whether you're, you know, if if you have any, like we always talk about, you know, everybody's a designer. Like everybody who, who can make a decision about the product is, you know, is is a designer because they have they they can make a decision that affects the experience of the product. So I mean in that same vein it's not just the designers that that you know can you know can can and af- can affect this i think it's everybody who can make those decisions right so i mean if you're you know subscribed to the everybody's a designer um you know philosophy then yes the designers absolutely are the ones that are going to make the, the the make the
0: difference right and to some degree i i've heard um the proposal thrown out that you know the designers should have some sort of uh, union or um, you know ethical uh, body, essentially that we should be uh, swearing a, a Hippocratic oath.
1: Yeah, I've heard people talk about you know the whole unionizing designers because of the influence that we have and the the impact that we can have. Um, but at the same time if we're going to do that, then you know designers can can't like be the only ones right we have to go back to the okay can you make a decision that affects the 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 experience of the product right It's like okay then who is that is it just you know people who traditionally said that they're designers or is this now business people and by the fact that we say we have this you know mythical union and we have this mythical hippocratic oath does then designers get more power in, you know, because they now have all the responsibility because they've, you know, have the union and they have all these protections and they've taken this oath. And then the business people are, you know, what, oh, it's not up to us. The, you know, the designer screwed up and they're the ones who are, are accountable now.
0: You'd have to compensate me quite a bit differently if I was taking on the risk for some of the product decisions that I've had to play a role in.
1: Right. And so, Let's, let's apply, let's do a thought experiment here and let's apply that scenario and say there was now a, you know, sort of, you know, designer, you know, uh, designer union and you had some sort of, you know, ethical oath, like the Hippocratic oath, then could you, you would actually have a little bit to stand on, right? It would, it would now be a, like a union issue. It'd be like a labor issue, right? You know? So, you know, I, I used to, so, um, back in my previous, uh, career, I was a chef. And in the last, um, place that I worked, we actually had union cook. So I had to, I had to manage union, um, union employees, which was interesting. And that's a whole other uh, discussion in itself. But at the same time, you know, they had certain things that, 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 you know, their job was very well-defined and they did exactly what was in the definition. And now let me tell you, no more. They didn't do any more than that, um, which was an interesting um, um, exercise in management. But at the same time, you know, that was, you know, if you, you applied those same things to a designer union, it's like, well, I as a designer now have a, uh, an ethical dilemma that is clearly defined that I am, I, I'm not going to participate in. And now I have a union backing me up saying that i don't actually have to do that that sounds good <laughs> on paper but at the same time that's going to open up a huge amount of cans of worms and what will that do to things like you know actual innovation and will there be 10 consequences of that um ah, just it's I, I i just my mind is just like you know swimming even trying to think about all the implications of something like that
0: yeah, we'll have to do a a further discussion uh on a future episode just nothing but uh crazy diabolical scenarios that you have to think through and and decide which way you would design something. <laughs> well, you know there's like a there, there there this is like a uh
1: there's like an ethics problem that they the that is known as like the trolley problem. You've heard of this, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, something like that. There's, there's a switch, and so you have to...
1: Yeah, there's a runaway trolley moving down a, 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 a track, and there's a switch going from you know, one track to another, and there's like five people on one track. Um, you, have to, you basically have two options. You can do nothing and allow the trolley to kill the five people on the main track, or you can pull the lever diverting the trolley to the side and, and kill the one person on the other track, right? So that's the... You know, what's the more ethical option there?
0: Right? Is it the the number of people that you allowed to kill by doing nothing at all, or do you actively kill somebody who wasn't going to die otherwise? Exactly. So there's already been, you know,
1: thought experiments around all these sort of ethical things. And you know, even like a company like Tesla has to do, That with their self-driving cars it's like, well, what, you know, if, you know, a computer detects a certain situation and either two people die or one people die, what's it's going to, is it going to make a decision to kill the one person, not the two?
0: (laughs) And where is that going to be documented? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And I assume you can't just cheat on these uh, ethical tests. It's not the the Kobayashi Maru. (laughs) So, yeah. So, I mean, I think there is going to be a lot more discussion
1: about this in the future. I don't think this, 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 um, you know, this discussion is going to go away. I think it's going to only increase. Um, but I think about like past decisions, past really big decisions. Let's, let's think of some past decisions that were, you know, made that have had like these unintended consequences. And what would you actually do about them retroactively? Like, for instance, um take the the browser cookie right so the browser cookie at the time probably sounded like a really really great idea but what that thing has enabled is what some people call the surveillance industrial complex right (laughs) because now it's like you know you go to a website and somebody is like tracking you everywhere you go after that and you have if you like actually looked at your cookies and seen how much tracking is going on for you um, it's, it's pretty amazing and it's pretty crazy if that same thing was happening to you when you were just walking around in physical space, you know, you were like walking from store to store and, <laughs> and companies were gathering that much information about you and your activities or walking around in, 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 you know, in, in meat space, you'd be outraged. But yet we allow this to happen in, you know, on, on the web and it's all because of this thing called the browser cookie. And we just accept this thing, right? And so the person who invented the browser cookie did not obviously envision the surveillance industrial complex, but yet they've created something that enabled that. And now, I mean, how, how do you put that cat back in the bag, right? How do you put that genie back in the lamp?
0: It's hilarious to me how much more sinister, creepy browser tracking sounds when you call it the surveillance industrial complex. (laughs)
1: <laughs> i mean if com- like i said if companies tracked us walking around and traveling in the physical world like they do on the internet i mean we'd be outraged and i just feel like companies are like huh, hold my beer because that's coming too right <laughs> it's like you know <laughs> have you seen the the what's that movie with Tom- um about the the precogs and precognition and crime and stuff uh, minority report right like that, that exact oh, same right, thing right. Is, is happening in Renori Report. You go from one store to another and it recognizes you and like the advertisement starts talking to you and stuff. It's Like that's coming.
0: Yeah, it is creepy.
1: <laughs> and, that's, and that's creepy as F, right? And so like, yeah, companies are like, hold my beer. <laughs> We've been doing this on the internet. Just wait until we have all these enabling technologies
0: in real space. Well and the worst part about that knowing that it's uh, inevitably coming our way and also knowing how as a defensive mechanism we just tend to try to tune it out and ignore it and pretend we don't have a problem
1: so the interesting thing about that one is like so that's in sort of an infrastructure level you know decision that we have in you know in in the you know the base of you know the the web itself and, and browsers and things like that um, but that doesn't really do anything by itself, right? All that does is an enable a business model that allows that sort of tracking to, to, to go on, right? And so if we talk about those layers we were talking about before, it's like without the infrastructure, you can't really enable the business model, but because that infrastructure, infrastructure piece is there, now we have a business model that enables this sort of surveillance and in, in, industrial complex. And so if we look at it, you know infrastructure itself does not have any sort of you know it infrastructure itself doesn't have incentives it doesn't have motivations it doesn't have any of those things it's not and it's innocuous all by itself right it is the business and design on top of it that is what actually turns it either you know from something that's positive and useful or to something slimy and and a little bit evil or completely evil right that brings us up to sort of the 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 business side of it is really the thing that drives the sliminess
0: right if you if your outlook is that every dollar is equally good, then you got a problem
1: it's It's almost like you know profits are you know and shareholder value are like sugar to a child for businesses right It's like ah you know I know this even if it's bad for me it's good for me and I'm just going to like, you know, take as much as I can because we have the incentives to play in place to, you know um, you know, maximize shareholder value. Right. So that's the incentive of business in, you know, the, the, you know, the public sector is to, you know, uh, profits above everything. Right. And when, when that is the only, that's the only stipulation for how we make business decisions, then we are going to exploit that infrastructure and create whatever infrastructure we can to, exploit that for every way we can to, you know, get in that rat race of, you know, more profits, more profits, bigger, more growth, more expansion. And I think that is actually part of the problem. And that's a hard, hard force for just us simple designers to push against.
0: What are your thoughts for how designers should at least start thinking about design ethics, even before anything, you know, you know, concrete comes along i I mean
1: that's a hard one for me because i i think it is it's a mindset that you have to have and you have to sort of like find ways to get yourself into it i mean it's 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 similar to like if i look at my family and how we you know we we've changed our behaviors and habits to like start to recycle more try to you know Reduce the amount of waste that we have by, you know, kids like don't take, you know, plastic water bottles to school every day. They have a, you know, they have like a real metal water bottle like that they, they take, you know. So I think little things like that, that were, you know, where you've, you have to like introduce little habits into your daily routine and into your, you know, and, and in this case, your design routine to start to, you know, make sure that, you know, what you're doing isn't, you know, is, is. You're at least doing the basics on 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 how to not you know how to how to be ethical and how to not um you know you know introduce badness into your um into your practices and you know make sure that you're you're testing and you're not you're not, you're not you know introducing um unintended consequences um you're really understanding what the what are the ramifications of the decisions that you're making you know out in the world um, and, and, and being able to, you know, have a really good visibility into that because otherwise, you know, you're just, you know making stuff and throwing it over the wall and you don't, you have no idea what the, what the actual out- outcomes of those things are. So I don't know. It's, I, I don't know if, uh, a designer union is the, is the answer, but, uh, um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I just look at it as, you know, every individual recognizing, that and trying to introduce that into the culture of wherever you're working to make sure that you know everybody is trying to you know be altruistic as much as possible as opposed to only chasing after the the sugar of profit of profits
0: yeah i I think I would add that it's a good time for designers to start thinking about what are their personal guideposts what's their what's your personal north star um, start trying to to think through. Uh, ethical considerations, you know, just having having a, a a good sense for who you are and and what are those boundaries that, um, you know, you're not comfortable with. Because I think one of the things that happens and uh, and I'm thinking from um, you know, a, a young designer's perspective, somebody who's new to the field who hasn't necessarily learned how to push back, um, you know, you get you get put into awkward situations. It, Tends to come out of nowhere, and you know decisions happen fast. And I, I think waiting until something comes up is the wrong time to to think about these things. So uh, you know maybe someday we'll have a, a best practice. Maybe design education programs will standardize on you know some some common norms of ethical design. Um, but but don't wait for that to come along. You know start thinking. For yourself now, especially because a lot of the discussion is going to go to the extremes. You know, the the unintended consequence of something that had some, you know, outsized impact. Um, and you know, I, th- that that could be useful for a thought experiment, but just in the day to day of of working, really in any kind of job, but especially as a as a designer, it's it's little things that are gonna come and go and um you just you you want to know where's your core um before that day comes
1: yeah i mean i think you know if you can build it into your you know your your design principles and into the your maybe the the um the charter of your practice right um i think that's maybe a, a good step to 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 not only agree amongst your practice, you know, what we believe in and what we think, you know, where we th- think we draw the line when it comes to, you know, ethics um, and being able to communicate that out to, to the business. I think it's a, it's a start. And then you, at least you've made a stand at some point and you've, you've a- outlined it and articulated it in something formal. Um, I think that would, that's, that's maybe a good start
0: too. Sure. as companies, become more aware of the value that design can add um, to, their, to their products, to their, um, to their business model, um, then perhaps they also become aware to the benefits of uh, employing certified ethical designers.
1: Well, I mean, they do have certified ethical hackers, <laughs> and so I think that's what Mike Montero is uh, is 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 moving towards, right? It's what he's he's sort of advocating is like we should
0: also have certified ethical designers. Hmm. Something to think about. So then, do you become a scab and just work in in, in unethical
1: uh, <laughs> roles? I guess now are we going to have like different classes of companies? Now is like the the. This is a certified ethical company versus all the other ones. Oh, man. Somebody's going to game that system. It's like, oh, no, we're an
0: ethical company. We've been certified. All of our outputs must be ethical. That's right. (laughs) Good ethics in, good ethics out. I'm I'm a certified ethical machine algorithm. (laughs) Well, I'm a black hat designer.
1: (laughs) So th- that's interesting. Oh, uh, now that I, now that I think about all this, I think I go back to you know the iRobot thing and like the 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 laws, the three laws of uh, of of robots, where like you know no robot will bring harm to man, no robot will like not intervene to like not bring harm to man, and you know all the, whatever those three were. But uh, yeah, so I mean Isaac Asimov was thinking about this back in the the sixties and seventies when he was writing the yeah, iRobot books talking about robot ethics (laughs) i'm your (laughs) i'm your robot ux ethical designer
0: (laughs) but hey actually that's a a pretty good idea maybe we can you know reach out to other fields that have more chops at um considering ethics and i think that's part of mike montero's point but you know maybe maybe we could talk to some robo ethicists so if you're listening to the show and you know a, a robo ethicist or any other kind of ethicist, please, uh, please but, put them in But touch. no estheti- estheticians, though. Not that. <laughs> Eth-
1: just ethicists, no estheticians. But I think this becomes even more and more important, especially when I think about where things are going with. I mean, imagine this scenario. You've got the combination of drones, weapons, and machine learning, right? And artificial intelligence. And like the combination of those three things together. Are potentially devastating, right? <laughs> you know, the 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 the, uh, the machine learning algorithm decides that this this group of humans are bad for some reason and completely destroys them, and it's wrong, right? <laughs> it's probably mostly wrong, but you know, I'm just saying, you can set up that that situation. You know, it's so like that the whole you know combat and 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 robots and and weaponry that's that that's on. You know, it's coming. We're we we can not stop that. Right. And that uh that really, really scares me. And I wish more people you know, we had more controls in place like ethical design to combat some stuff like that, because that's it's a really scary um proposition, honestly.
0: Yeah, that was the other big headline this week was uh employees at Microsoft had tried to stage a coup against um a contract for developing their their uh, Hololens technology for a U.S. Army contract. I admired their their gumption. If you're if you're opposed to um, building weapon systems, however, the other side of that, and uh, such Nadella's response, uh, you know, I was appreciative of I was like these are this contract is to help people who protect this country. So. Sorry, but we have an obligation to them, too. <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, I guess uh,
1: design ethics only works if the entire world also subscribes to it.
0: <laughs> right, right. I'm only going to design ethical weapons. <laughs> well, that's going to be our new uh, punk band, Ethical Weapons. <laughs> Stop designers
1: love. So this week's on stuff designers love. I want to talk about a podcast that I love. How dare you! <laughs> um, but I want to talk about um, one of uh, a podcast I discovered recently, and I've just I think it's really really awesome, and it is called Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe. Have you heard this one? New to me. So yeah, so Daniel and Jorge explain the universe. They basically have a podcast. It's about an hour and they talk about some sort of thing about the universe, space, astrophysics, quantum physics, you know, whatever it is. Um And they're l- listening to the two guys. They're just like the two most likable guys that you could ever imagine. They're just like all really laid back and they talk like this. And <laughs> they're, they're not you know, like laugh out loud funny, but they're a little bit funny and they're just like really cute. And I don't know. They're just like really it's a really, really approachable podcast, but they talk about things like is anti-gravity even possible. Right. And so they'll go into, Uh you know, you know, and the, the interesting thing is, and you'll appreciate this Roman, um, they are based out of UC Irvine. And, um, so they'll sometimes go out and do, um, man on the street interviews with, students at uc irvine and talk about you know ask them questions like so do you think anti-gravity you know is is you know is something that's possible and then you know they'll get some responses to it and they'll get a very variety of responses and then they'll talk about the you know the real um um intricate details of you know whether it's actually possible to you know float above and like negate the effects of gravity on you know somebody on earth right other than you know actual you know propulsion and you know classical physics but you know just like negating the, the 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 gravity um so that was you know um that that was a really interesting episode another episode that they had that was really fascinating to me was the one about um oh the one about why the universe is not smooth or one big gigantic star but why there's like you know little mm-hmm. clusters of stars and and universe and or uh, clusters of stars and galaxies and stuff like that, as opposed to being completely smooth or completely, you know, one gigantic universe star. Right. And so then it was, it was really interesting because it was like, well, you know, if, you know, cause you know, the only reason things cluster together is because, you know, uh, mass is uneven right like if you have like a cluster of things then it will start to cluster together because of gravity but if like everything is smooth and everything's equally at equal distance from each other there's no natural clustering is going to happen because there's no force to like start something to cluster so they talk about you know so why why when after the big bang was you know did things start clustering up and so they talk about like how quantum um you know uh quantum physics is like you know random and that that quantum physics during the inflationary period of the big bang was a thing that caused everything to be not c- completely uniform and that's how we get clustering and stars and galaxies and all that stuff i've really been interested in theoretical physics since like i was you know probably my l- late teens early 20s you know reading things like you know stephen hawking's the you know brief history in time and black holes and baby universes and then starting to read other books like uh Roger Penrose's Emperor's New Mind, you know, and, and, and learning about quantum mechanics and how it just, it's actually, once you start to learn about it, you're just like, that makes no sense, but that's actually how things work at the, (laughs) at the, at the subatomic level. It's, it's, you know, it's crazy to think about, you know, you know, the Heisenberg incentive principle and, and, you know, and all those things that happen at the, at the, at the, at the micro level and, you know, talking about you know different dimensions and how to think about dimensions and all that stuff. So I was like one of those people who's like really interested in the theoretical side of physics, but like when it came mm-hmm. to the math part of it, I was just like forget about it. <laughs> There's no way I can. Same. I'll yeah. just I'll just trust the math to the people that understand the math part of it. But I, I really enjoyed the sort of the theoretical physics side of things that you know the all, all those different concepts and and things like that. So if you are also interested in that, I highly recommend. Daniel, and Jorge
0: explain the universe. It's a great podcast. If you found this show useful, usable, and desirable... And ethical. (laughs) Very good. And ethical. Uh, Please share a quick review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, Your reviews help people find the show, and we appreciate your help. And remember, UX Like Us is your podcast. Follow us on Twitter.
1: That's at UX Like Us. And let us know who you'd like... For us to have on the show and what you'd like us to hear us discuss in the future um so i'm larry king and that's at, at la king on twitter and roman is at Superman. and thanks for listening
0: design ethics oh god that
1: sounds awful <laughs>
0: let's,
1: let's never <laughs> speak of that again